This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Recruiting Show alongside Blair and Gulo. I'm Emily Proud, and we are the one college football show not talking about playoff rankings this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the change of pace. Let's hit the headlines, Blair. The number three quarterback in the 2024 class making his commitment yesterday, Julian Sayan, saying he's going to Alabama. Blair, the QB dominoes are falling fast. Yeah, with Julian Sain coming off the board, that means three of the top four quarterbacks in that 2024 class are now committed. All eyes are now on guys like Jaden Davis, Elijah Brown, DJ Lagway, as things continue to take shape in that 24 class. Meanwhile, another commitment four-star tackle, DJ Chester, committing to LSU right here on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. That happened earlier today. LSU getting a bump in the 2023 rankings, moving them to number four with 24 total commits. How impressed are you with Brian Kelly on the recruiting trail? You know, Emily, dance moves aside, this is exactly why LSU went out and got Brian Kelly. He has been a a terrific recruiter this whole cycle, and it's why they made that change from Ed Orgeron despite winning that trophy. Uh, And they have commitments now from 10 different states, so he has definite national pool. A massive weekend between the hedges as Georgia plays host to the number one team in the nation and a pair of top 24-7 teammates in James Smith and Quay Russa. Both have visited Georgia once already, so clearly the dogs are a strong contender here. Yeah, they're teammates at Carver in Montgomery, Alabama. They've taken official visits together. They've been on multiple campuses together. They were out at Florida last month. And there's nothing more than than Georgia would want to do than keep these guys attached at the hip. All right, if you thought that was the extent of our discussion on the monster recruiting weekend happening in Athens, then you are sorely mistaken. It's number one versus uh, technically number one. It does not get bigger than that. And Blair, you're out on the West Coast right now. Some of the biggest names in your neck of the woods will visit Georgia this weekend. Four-star tight end Walker Lyons, who's committed to Stanford right now, and four-star whiteout DeAndre Moore, who's currently committed to Louisville. Are we breaking out Wilt Fung's spatula for either of these top 24-7 prospects? 
We're getting very close. You know, Walker Lyons has been taking other visits. He's the best tight end prospect out West, not named Deuce Robinson. This is a player who made it out to Utah earlier in the season, really likes the Utes, is headed out for an official visit to Georgia this weekend, really likes the Bulldogs. And you can't count out Coach Todd Hartley when it comes to tight ends. And the interesting nugget with Walker Lyons is that he intends to take a two-year church mission right after high school. So he wouldn't really count for this recruiting class. Uh, that's that's a player that's coming in two years later. So uh, I think a, a, an interesting wrinkle there. And then DeAndre Moore is going to be taking an official visit this weekend to Georgia, then next weekend to Texas. So that that's an interesting thing, right? This is a player who's taking a look at, at a number of programs, committed to Louisville really early. Uh, but if I were to gauge it right now, I think the spatula could be coming out for both of these players. I like it. Blair, if you'll remember, in our discussion a couple days ago with Rusty Manziel of Dogs 24-7, he said that Kirby Smart had some, quote, big boy decisions to make this weekend. Everybody wants a ticket to the biggest game in the sport. So how does Kirby manage relationships when deciding who gets that golden ticket? Yeah, it's a tricky predicament, right? You would obviously want to have every top recruit in the country in the stadium, uh, but there's not enough space and, and obviously there's not enough time to host everyone. And they have to toe that line. They have to be delicate with some of these prospects and not hurt feelings and not hurt relationships. I think it's important for the 2024s, the 2025s, and even the freshmen, the 2026 prospects, uh, to get an understanding of how tough it is to not only go to Georgia as a recruit, but ultimately get that scholarship offer. So big boy decisions, big boy pants. I mean, this is Georgia. It's the best of the best. It's the elite of the elite. And I think, you know, the, the cream rises, as they say, even when it when it means filling, filling seats in the stadium. Yeah, it's a good problem to have overall. Well, meanwhile, this next game might not have playoff implications, but make no mistake about it. When Florida State and Miami square off in one of the most talent-rich states in the country, it's always a game with a lot on the line. So let's welcome in our friend Gabby Yerudula from out from inside the U.com. Gabby, the recruiting battles between the in-state rivals has been fascinating to watch. And on Saturday, Florida State and Miami will take their fight to the field. So how much does this game play a role in who wins on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I mean, Miami, Florida State, I mean, they're recruiting the same guys oftentimes. And there are going to be a lot of guys in the stands at Hard Rock Stadium that both schools want, that Miami, Florida State, Mario Cristobal, Mike Norvell, these guys are kind of going after it, attacking each other on the recruiting trail. So, you know, it, I think it could have some sort of implications to some guys. Uh, you know, I do think that what Miami and Mario Cristobal are doing maybe goes beyond what happens on Saturday. We're seeing that with the recruiting class that they're putting together. They lose to uh, a Duke team, get blown out. A few days later, they pick up a commitment from five-star Cormani McLean. Uh, so, you know, I think Miami's doing what they're doing on the recruiting trail, trail right now, regardless of the on-field product. Uh, it's kind of unprecedented. You don't see it very often, but this is year one of that tenure, and they're really excited. They're building some serious momentum, and I think there's a lot of buy-in to what they're building behind the scenes. So I think a lot of these kids are still looking at the future of the program, what's still ahead for Miami, not necessarily what's happening on Saturday, but it's Miami, Florida State. I mean, it's going to have all the eyes of the people down here in the Sunshine State, so definitely a, a big-time matchup. Gabby, the eyes of four-star corner Damari Brown will be on Miami. He took an official visit to Florida State last month. He's in Miami this weekend for his official visit, named a top four earlier this week. But you have a crystal ball prediction in for the Canes. How much do you like that pick right now? 
Yeah, I like it, man. I, I like Damari Brown. I, I think that, uh, you know, his dad is uh, his dad played at the University of Miami, won a national championship at the University of Miami. So, uh, you know, I do think Miami's done a really good job recruiting him here, you know, really just wire to wire. You know, he, he's the guy that they identified uh, a little bit earlier on in the process. Uh, Jamal Day, the defensive backs coach who Miami got from Georgia, Demarcus Van Dyke. Uh, who's an off-field, uh, you know, analyst that's really, really involved in defensive back recruiting, have really prioritized Damari Brown. They've gotten him on campus multiple times over the course of the spring, over the summer. He's already been to like two or three Miami games already this fall. He'll take an official visit. They feel good about where they're at right now, but we're talking Miami, Florida State. Florida State's another one of those finalists, and so, you know, he's going to get a chance to watch both schools on Saturday for sure. Miami currently has 19 commitments on board in 2023 yeah. with the class, led by last week's surprising commitment of the yeah. number two player in the class, Cormani McLean. You mentioned him. All signs pointed toward the Gators. So, Gabby, how did Cristobal pull that off? Yeah, I think this is just a, a Mario Cristobal special. I mean, this staff feels most comfortable working in the shadows. Uh, you know, they're going to I think they're hoping to pull a couple more stunners like this this cycle. I don't think that they're done, uh, you know, working on some guys that maybe aren't trending to Miami right now. But I mean, again, let's we let's go back to relationships to Demarcus Van Dyke. I mean, he's a guy that deserves just so much credit in this recruitment. He's not one of the 10 on field staffers, but he is a guy that has developed maybe the best relationship of of anybody on the Miami staff with Cormani McLean and his mom and his his camp, his family. And, uh, you know, I think ultimately the relationship won out and, you know, it's about trust. It's about a lot of those things. And I think Demarcus Van Dyke, with how long he's been involved in this Cormani McLean recruitment, he was the cornerbacks coach last year, the last year of the Manny Diaz era, took a step back to stay at Miami. His alma mater is very passionate about the university and about building relationships. And I think that is ultimately what helped Miami seal the deal here. I mean, just what a big time recruitment. I don't think it was something anyone was expecting. And again, I think that's the way Mario Cristobal and this staff would prefer to operate. Gabby, you mentioned working in the shadows. I believe your podcast is, is called Through the Smoke. So a lot of misdirection <laughs> right now with Miami. Yeah. But one thing that is not misdirected, and that would be Cormani McLean's presence in this class. He's going to be the face and the headliner of this class. How much does that affect Mario Cristobal's recruiting efforts here in 2023? Yeah, I think it changes a lot, right? Like, I think it's just something that, again, you're talking about perception, and I feel like recruiting oftentimes can be so perception-based. It's like, oh, if Cormani McLean wants to play at Miami, you know, maybe I should be giving them a bit of, of maybe a deeper look, or what, what am I missing, or is there something more I need to see with Miami that maybe it's not, you know, popping out with a, what, what is it, a three and four record, three and five record. Um, so, you know, I already, I know there's other guys that are already kind of hitting up Miami, like, hey, you know, if I'm a wide receiver, I kind of want to go up against Cormani McLean every day. Miami's in a deep need of wide receivers. If I'm a cornerback, hey, I kind of want to, you know, lean on Cormani McLean. I kind of want to work alongside him. I want him to lock up one side of the field while I lock down the other. I already think that the Cormani McLean effect is, is already, you know, they're already seeing the fruits of that. They're already seeing other guys kind of knocking on the door and be like, hey, okay, so what's going on here? I think I'm starting to to catch on to this. And again, I think, you know, this is just really just the beginning of what Mario Cristobal and this staff are hoping to do on the recruiting trail before the early signing day in what, seven weeks? It's, it's creeping up on us. All right, through the smoke, we'll do one last little podcast plug there. All right, Louisville <laughs> linebacker, anytime. Louisville linebacker commit Stanquan Clark is expected yeah. at Saturday's game. So what's the latest in the Hurricanes efforts to flip him? 
Yeah, uh, you know, local product. Uh, he played at Miami Killian in the last few years. Is, is a quiet kid. He didn't take a lot of visits. Uh, when this new staff kind of got here, uh, you know, they they got him on campus once during like, one of those like really really big uh, recruiting events. They didn't even have their full staff complete. Uh, you know, they've been trying to kind of work there. Finally, kind of got him on campus. Were able to measure him up, do all those things. He made the move to Miami Central, where you know it's a national powerhouse program down here, and he's just really just really elevated his game as a senior, and I think that has Miami's attention. They're kind of all in on him. He's been to a few Miami games. I believe this will be his third of the fall, so Miami's actively working on that flip right there. Dade County kid, born and bred, uh, so I know he's definitely one Miami would love to keep home. Got a flip from, from Louisville. They did a good job of just kind of making him feel like a priority early on in the process, and then obviously did a good job of closing out, ping, picking up that commitment over the summer. Gabby, Rudia, thank you so much. You can read more about the big recruiting weekend in Coral Gables online at InsideTheU.com. Blair, I want to bring you back in here. Obviously, the on-field results for Cristobal have left a little bit to be desired. It's easier to sell that hype before they start play. What does the sell look like now when he's going into the living room of some of these recruits saying, that's not us. We're, we're going to move forward. We're going to get better. Yeah, it's crucial for him to relay that message, right, that they are bringing a different type of athlete to the roster and that these aren't really essentially his players that he recruited there. And, and I think that's important to drive home because if you're thinking about turning a program around and you want to get those on-field results, you have to bring in the, the, type the type of players that he has been recruiting, the type of players that he has been winning recruiting battles for. Uh, you sell immediate playing time. You sell that instant impact potential. There are so many different variables that Mario Cristobal can go to that uh, that turns these negative results into a positive recruiting effect. So uh, a lot to look forward to. I, I'm really interested to see how he closes this 2023 recruiting cycle after being there for nearly a year and just to see how, how much of a strong footing he has in that area. The season is not over yet either. That will certainly help. While we're on the topic of year one head coaches, Marcus Freeman boasting the third ranked class for 2023 and the number one class so far in 24. So here comes another chance to build on the early success this weekend as the Irish gear up to host a top four team. Joining us now are Steve Wolfong, Director of Recruiting at 24-7 Sports, and Tom Loy, the Notre Dame Insider over at 24-7 Sports. And we are here for another recruiting roundtable as we look ahead to Notre Dame's big weekend as they host number four Clemson in South Bend, a number of high-profile prospects also expect, expected to make it on campus, Tom. Yeah, it's a, it's a big weekend. I mean, it's probably not as big as it should be. Um, like when you're looking at preseason and the potential of, of what this weekend could have been. But there's really, in my opinion, there's no bigger prospect on campus than somebody that's actually committed. And, and that's Peyton Bowen, five-star safety out of Texas. They need to really cement themselves as the, the team to beat. I know it's crazy to say that as a you know commitment, but you know with Texas A&M, Oklahoma pushing hard, I mean, this is – this is the guy that they need to uh, really get things done with this weekend, not mess around anymore. And that way, come December, the early signing period, he puts pen to paper and or, you know, clicks the button on his phone and uh, Notre Dame lands it. But he's the guy that I'm really paying attention to. They got some other guys on campus for sure. But I mean, I'm sure Steve would agree. This is the guy they need to land. Well, Notre Dame's got 23 commits. It's the nation's number three recruiting class. 
2023 cycle. They're number one in 2024, and they've already done a lot of groundwork in this 2023 class. So when you talk about the star power that's going to be on campus, there will be a lot of star power on campus. Just many of them have already said yes to Notre Dame in this cycle. And certainly, obviously, getting Peyton Bowen back is huge. Getting him around his peers, potential future teammates is massive. And obviously, it's an opportunity for Notre Dame to pick up a big win in, in front of what should be proud and great atmosphere in South Bend. And then as far as 2024, I think Notre Dame's hosting a lot of their top targets that they've identified early in the cycle, guys that they've gotten ahead of uh, and guys that they're in great shape for, whether that being Carson Hobbs, who's currently committed to South Carolina, Kosh Sanders, an athlete that they like a lot from New Jersey, uh, edge rusher TJ Lindsay has the traits you're looking for at the position from Arkansas, and then certainly Aeneas Williams, a prolific player, from the state of Missouri that can really run. There's some exciting young guys on campus. And then, Tom, you had the news yesterday that Notre Dame's hosting a receiver committed elsewhere in Caleb Smith, obviously adding more skill talent uh, uh, and adding more juice to an offense that's been uh, uh, has not had many big plays this year is a priority for Notre Dame this cycle. And I think when you look at the three running backs they have committed, the combination of those guys, the one trait that stands out about all three of them is they can really run and they're very versatile. They can catch the football. A couple of those guys can really uh, uh, pound between the tackles. Uh, and, and then I think there's a lot of dynamic ability in that receiver class. And Caleb Smith would be another uh, a potential intriguing addition. Texas Tech was way out in front on Caleb Smith, Joey McGuire, all his Texas inroads with all the high school coaches. They offered him in November of 2021, committed him early. And I bet they were hoping to keep Caleb Smith all the way under the radar, having a good senior year. Notre Dame's in on him. They're in on, on some other receiver targets, but I think if they flip Caleb Smith this weekend, that'll be it for them at the wide receiver position as, as they put together the finishing touches on what I think has been a terrific group of skill players that they've recruited on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I absolutely think Caleb Smith would be a massive win. He's a guy that um, I was told clocked a 4-4-9 last summer at Baylor, and he's a guy that Chancey Stuckey's been on for a while, just didn't really necessarily know if he was going to have a spot for him. So they need speed. They've already landed some really good receivers this class, Enrico Flores, Jaden Greathouse, and Braylon James. And if they could land Smith and potentially be done at the position, in you know, obviously when you're looking at guys that can play both, and a Dylan Edwards and Jeremiah Love, but if you can land Smith, I think that would be a very good win because I think he's having a really good senior season. But back on 24, that a guy that you didn't mention, but I definitely want to because he's right here in my backyard in Fort Wayne, is Bronte Johnson. That's a guy that can play all over the field. You're talking about receiver – uh, or safety or even corner, but love him at safety down the road. He's a top 100 guy, according to 24-7 Sports, and he's a big-time player, a big-time prospect that I think that I wouldn't say necessarily needs to land, but I think that that's a guy that Notre Dame is going to be all over, and I can, I can assure you, Chris, Chris O'Leary, um, there's not going to be other than other than Peyton Bowen. There may not be a bigger priority this weekend than Bronte Johnson. I know Blair and I talked about Rock a little bit, so obviously big-time baseball player, first-round potential football player. But, I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about him last week, Blair, but what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Rock Shalowski, a first-round projected MLB draft pick. He's supposed to go top 10 in next year's draft, UCLA commit. And Notre Dame has gone in, gone in there trying to get him uh, a football ride, right? Like he's actually thinking about playing both sports. And it's interesting because he's been committed to UCLA for such a long time. Baseball commitments come off the board early. I think that's been his path. But catching up with him last week, Rock told me that football is a true passion of his. So when you think about 
the the appeal of Notre Dame and the combination of being able to play football and baseball, it, it could be something that draws him to South Bend. Yeah, I think that's pretty wild. I mean, this was kind of like when, when I was initially told about this, I was like, you guys are crazy. You're not going to get a potential first round MLB draft pick to sign with you guys, flip from UCLA. And, and these guys are like everybody we've talked to, everybody's saying that he may not be mature enough and not a negative just but like I don't think he necessarily thinks he's ready to be a pro so he seems on board for a couple years of college and Notre Dame's going to do all they can to get him on board and obviously he would be a football scholarship if he ever steps foot on you know in in game but he would be a baseball guy before then but but Notre Dame loves him at quarterback they think he's a good enough player to bring on board and then obviously be a essentially a stopgap in between him and him and CJ Carr in 24. And then I also think you recruit a couple guys. I know Avery Johnson is a guy Steve loves. That would be a guy that they're going to, you know, do their best to try to flip down the stretch, which I don't see happening, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on this, Steve, in terms of like, would you be comfortable if this was the guy in 23 and then obviously CJ in 24? Well, I've, I, I know that Notre Dame's also had dialogue at some points with the Kenny Minchie camp. I don't know if they've made some headway with the pick commit, a top two, four, seven passer for Tennessee, who I think it would be a tremendous pickup for any school and, and, and is a great ad for Pitt as it stands right now. I think, you know, we live in an era right now, Tommy, where you can go into the portal and you can address some needs there as well. Oh, yeah. And I think that Notre Dame should go into the portal as well and create as much competition in that quarterback room as possible going into next year. Because right now, I don't know if we've seen a national title caliber quarterback under center for the Irish, and that's the goal in South Bend, to take it up one more notch from a team that's been to the college football playoff two out of the last four years, double-digit wins, five years in a row, I believe. And and uh, certainly uh, I think that they have the pieces in, in, in a lot of other areas to compete at the level that they want to compete at, just quarterback. And I know Tyler Buckner goes down, so maybe we would have saw great evolution from Tyler Buckner as the season continued. But I still say, hey, bring someone else in there to compete for the job and let the cream rise to the top because that's a position where there's been a whole heck of a lot of frustration for Notre Dame and really what they've been able to execute offensively. You know, Tom Reese has taken some heat from some people, but your play calling looks a whole hell of a lot better when you got a better quarterback under center. Now I understand that uh, he's also responsible for recruiting that room to as well as was Brian Kelly and Chip Long. And uh, uh, um, but I, I think that quarterback Notre Dame's got to go into the off season. How can we continue to bolster this room and make it as competitive as possible? Because we're pretty damn good everywhere else on this football team. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, think, like, I I understood why they didn't go into it last year. I they did. had opportunities. I kind of get that, but. I I just feel like with, with Tyler Buckner being essentially injury prone since high school, he's gone down too many times. You can't go into 23 assuming everything's going to be fine and he's going to be the guy and you keep the room the way it is. So I completely agree. You've got to hit the portal and you got to, you can't be worried about who's going to transfer or whatever. If you bring a guy in, that's all out the window. You got to, you got to make this room the best it can be. And if that's a, a really talented quarterback, that's just looking for playing time elsewhere, that's what you have to do. And you, you got to bring in that plus a guy in 23. A really important weekend for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish as they host number four Clemson. You can catch all the coverage over at irishillustrated.com. Follow all the work of Tom Loy and Steve Wolfong. Thank you so much for joining us, guys.
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! On Monday, Brian Harson became the sixth Power 5 coach fired before November. So our national recruiting analyst, Brandon Huffman, ranked the openings in terms of recruiting opportunity. Now coming in at number six, Colorado. Right now, their 2023 class is 49th, and they are 7th in the Pac-12. At number five, Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets have a 2023 class rank of 58 and are 12th in the ACC. The fourth best job in terms of recruiting opportunity, Nebraska. The Cornhuskers currently boast the 33rd ranked class and are right in the middle of the Big Ten at seventh. Number three, Arizona State. Some work to do at 102nd in the nation. They also sit last in the Pac-12. Number two, Wisconsin. The Badgers are 57th in the country and 13th in the Big Ten. Now, finally, Huffman has Auburn as the top Power Five job when it comes to recruiting opportunity. The Tigers sit at 56th in the 2023 class, which is good for last among all SEC teams. Here to make the case for his rankings is the aforementioned Brandon Huffman. Brandon, the most recent job to come available is at the top of your list. So what is it about Auburn that makes them the top open job in terms of recruiting? Well, I think if you look at it from a geographical location, where Auburn is located, near Atlanta, near Florida, the, the amount of talent that is in that state and in that region definitely passes all the other schools on this list. Then you also look at their recent history. They played for two national championships in the last 12 years. They won one of them. They've got a Heisman Trophy winner in Cam Newton. These kids grew up watching Auburn. A lot of these guys watched Auburn win the most dramatic Iron Bowl ever. So... <laughs> Auburn is a name that you know carries a lot of weight. Bo Jackson, Cam Newton, you, you name it, with exciting finishes. They you know darn near beat Alabama a year ago. And maybe if they hold off that Alabama drive, Brian Harson's still there. We're not having this conversation, but we are. And Auburn should be recruiting above their weight class. You brought in a staff that was used to recruiting into the Mountain West. That was a huge jump from the Mountain West to the SEC, but Gus Malzahn and, and the predecessors before him, Gene Chizik, Tommy Tuberville, they were able to recruit at Auburn and recruit well, so there's all the pieces in place. You just need a coach who knows that region, knows that landscape, and, and understands relationships in that part of the country are key, rather than bringing somebody in from the West Coast uh, or from the Mountain region like Auburn did with Brian Harson. get a guy who knows the SEC, knows how to recruit in the SEC, and that's the most attractive job that's available. You know, Brandon, you just set the table for yourself, but you, you mentioned some of the characteristics there of, of a potential coach. Who would be the ideal head coach as a recruiter for Auburn? Well, obviously, Lane Kiffin's name is being brought up a bunch. And for obvious reasons, Lane has the personality. You know, there's nothing I think Lane would enjoy more than to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Nick Saban in-state 
on Twitter, on social media, at press conferences, but also in the living rooms. When he's trying to close recruiting deals, I'm sure he would love that. He would relish that. He, he you know, he still talks about the 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 blank chewings he used to get from Saban when he was an assistant. Good no, good lord, would that not be just pure theater to watch those two recruit against each other? But obviously, Deion Sanders is another name that's being mentioned. You know, his ties to Under Armour, which Auburn is an Under Armour school. His ties to Atlanta, having coached or, or having played for the Atlanta Falcons. He's got ties into the Southeast. So there's another name. I think those are the two most common names. You know, there's Jeff Grimes is a name that I heard. He was a part of the, the, the national championship staff in 2010, the offensive coordinator at Baylor, previously was at BYU. That might be like Harston Light. Doesn't have a lot of, you know, recent ties down there. So Kiffin and Sanders are two of the names that I think you're going to keep hearing prominently. I don't know that a Matt Rule goes there. I don't know that Hugh Freeze necessarily is, is attractive this time around. His on-field success should make him attractive, but it's still too soon from the last time he was passed up. So I think we're going to keep hearing Kiffin and Sanders' name down the stretch. But, you know, with Auburn, nobody in the world saw Brian Harson being hired last time. So maybe there's another curveball yet to come from them. Yeah, an SEC connection making the hire as well in their athletic director. All right, two Big Ten West teams on this list. Wisconsin at number two, Nebraska at four. These teams have a lot of similarities in terms of tradition, historical success, Midwestern recruiting. So what makes the Badgers the better job between these two? I think it's the recent success that they've had. They went to three New Year's Six Bowls under Paul Chris. They were playing for a Rose Bowl in 2019 season. They were, you know, this close to, to playing for, uh, you know, into the playoffs the, the, a couple of years before that, uh, before they beat Miami in the Orange Bowl. So they've had much more recent success. I mean, the old college football fan still thinks of the 95 Nebraska, the, the late 90s Nebraska, the team that Miami railroaded in the Rose Bowl after the 2001 season. That was 20 plus years ago. High school kids have only seen Nebraska be mediocre, or you know, maybe they were seven or eight when they saw Indama King Su take over and then still see Nebraska lose to Texas. But Wisconsin has had the recent success. They've got better in-state talent. They've got a division that they've won that's the same division Nebraska's in. They've won that division more. They've got players in the NFL that are playing at a higher level than Nebraska has in recent years. There's just more to the package with what Wisconsin has with their recent success, with their you know historical success, maybe not matching Nebraska's national championships, but at least you know in the 21st century, Wisconsin has been a better program, has been a better job, and they recruit better, and they have more in-state talent to choose from than Nebraska does. So that just gives me a, the reason to think that, you know, Wisconsin being that they're tied to modern times, whereas Nebraska still has a tendency to look back to the 90s, Wisconsin at least is game to be much more successful and a quicker fix because this isn't a program that's had, you know, unsuccessful seasons. They've been very successful, got off to a rough start this year, made the move with Chris, but they've been in bowl games consistently for the better part of the last 20, 25 years. Huff, on that same wavelength, you have Arizona State at number three and, and Colorado at number six. There's a lot of proximity to talent with the Sun Devils. How important will it be for that next head coach to have ties out west? Well, how many times have you and I, Blair, said on the west of the rest that Arizona State is a program that should be recruiting much better than they have? Now, they recruited well two years ago, and then we find out from the NCAA, well, there was a reason why. When everybody else in the country wasn't letting recruits on campus, they allegedly were. 
But Arizona State is in a state where there is so much talent to choose from. The number one player in the country in 2024 is from Arizona. One of the best running backs in college football is from Arizona. One of the best defensive backs in college football is from Arizona. And yet none of those guys are staying in the Western footprint, let alone staying in state. So ASU has the players in the state of Arizona that they can recruit at a high level. They're close enough to Southern California. They've had enough success in Northern California where they can get Californians to come. They've been able to go into Texas. They've been able to go in to other parts of the country and bring those guys in. So Arizona State has a much more fertile recruiting ground, but they also have some national appeal. Whereas Colorado, it seems like they've been in no man's land ever really since Dan Hawkins took over in, I think, 2006. They just have not had the success. I think they've been to three bowl games since there. You know, Mel Tucker looked like he was getting things turned around. And then the first opportunity for him to leave, he did. They hire a retread in Carl Durrell. Recruiting is at a lull. Colorado doesn't really have an identity recruiting the West Coast, even though they are a Western state. They recruited Texas well, but really since their big eight days, and I guess to some extent the big 12 years, Colorado just has kind of been a, a, a school without a country, a school without a, a, a region to really call their own. They've never been able to have consistent success with the in-state kids. How many times has the top player in Colorado gone somewhere else? That's been another thing that's hurt them is that they can't, in a smaller group of in-state talent to choose from, they can't even get those guys to stay. So ASU is more attractive than Colorado, largely because the recruiting base in Arizona is much stronger. But Colorado seemingly has been without an identity for 20 plus years. Along those same lines with geography, Georgia Tech is in an excellent area for recruiting, better than most, if not all, in this ranking. So with those advantages, why is it all the way down at fifth on your list? You know, I think there's a couple things that factor in. First, there is the 800-pound gorilla in the state, and that's the University of Georgia, which just happens to share the state and which happens to be one of the best programs in college football. So with those Atlanta kids, those top-end Atlanta kids, they're going to want to go play at Georgia. But like I mentioned earlier with Auburn, Atlanta's proximity to so many other SEC schools and ACC schools gives other attractive options. We're still looking at Georgia Tech, and again, you know, we talk about how schools are perceived. It's been four years since Paul Johnson was the head coach at Georgia Tech, but in a lot of people's minds, Georgia Tech is still the school that runs the option, that still runs the ball 95% of the time, that squandered Calvin Johnson, his time there at Georgia Tech, and they can't recruit in-state. They've had a hard time recruiting in the Southeast. Jeff Collins couldn't get things turned around, and as he was getting started is when Kirby Smart started to send that program to, to really high levels. And so it, it's very similar to like when Carl Durrell took over at UCLA. As he was getting started at UCLA, you take the academic restrictions and the academic requirements that Georgia Tech has and that UCLA had at that time. And then when Carl Durrell's getting started at UCLA, Pete Carroll was getting things ramped up across town at USC. That's what Jeff Collins is going against. So this is a job that you're already going into a conference where you got Clemson that their success. You got North Carolina who could recruit well. You got Miami and Florida State, which have picked up their recruiting. Then you have the elite program in your own state. You have a city that everybody wants to recruit, and you start to become the eighth, ninth, tenth best option for those kids in Atlanta and in Georgia. Then you throw the academic requirements in, and it makes it a very tough job to win. And Atlanta is seemingly as great as Georgia fans are and as great as college football is in the South. Atlanta still is a pro town. It's the Braves. It's the Falcons. It's the Hawks. Georgia Tech takes a back seat to all those schools. So it's not as attractive as you would think given where it's located and certainly not with a program like Georgia that you're having to recruit against in-state plus all the other schools in that region. 
Yeah, you mentioned the academic hurdles, right? And, and I don't think the college football fan or the common football fan understands how big of a hurdle that is. If a player can't clear admissions, there's no reason to even offer him. So that already dwindles the amount of talent that they can go after. But can the right coach change that perception for Georgia Tech as a recruiting opportunity? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at what Jim Harbaugh did when he got to Stanford in 2007. I mean, that was the crutch that Stanford had used during the Buddy Tevens and the, the Walt Harris years, that re recruiting was difficult because of the academics. And then Jim Harbaugh, in seemingly one fell swoop, changed the entire perception. Now those elite academic kids who were elite football players wanted to go to Stanford. The hard part is that you're now in an era where you're dealing with the transfer portal on a much larger scale. Stanford, in their recent years under David Shaw, after having great success the first decade he was there, they started to lose guys to the portal because they weren't getting into the graduate programs at Stanford. It makes it that much difficult to go recruit the portal when you're a school like a Georgia Tech where you've already got high academic standards for regular students to get in, and now you're trying to take a transfer who may or may not have had the greatest grades at the school he was at, he might be a good football fit, but now you're dealing with keeping guys you know, in your program that maybe can't get into a graduate program and then they leave, but then you're making it that much more difficult for transfers to come in. So if there's maybe a little bit of a loosening, not saying that they have to ease the restrictions to you know levels that anybody can get in, but maybe a little bit more loosening or on a case-by-case -case basis, give a little bit more latitude to that coach, then I think that they can overcome that. But the hard part is, when you start dealing with the portal and players leaving after they get their undergraduate degree, but not being able to get into the graduate programs because of how competitive they are, and then not being able to take guys in via the transfer portal, you're just giving yourself another hand to be tied behind your back. Brandon Huffman, you're the best. Thank you so much. Blair, with the transfer portal, these programs can turn it around with on-the-field results pretty quickly, but which job do you think is best suited for a speedy turnaround on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I've got to ride with our guy Huff, right? I think it's Auburn. And look at what Tennessee has done. You, you look at what Brian Kelly has done at, at LSU since arriving there. Even look at Florida with Billy Napier and the strides that they've made. Uh, and even places like South Carolina and Arkansas, which, which have made some leaps forward after making changes, those schools show and they have provided the blueprint that proves that Auburn has a chance to make a quick turnaround in in the SEC and despite you know the transfer portal, despite the NIL opportunities, and despite this current recruiting landscape. Awesome. All right, thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. He's Blair Angulo. I'm Emily Proud, and this is the College Football Recruiting Show. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.